This is Saster's Founders Favorite Series, where you can hear some of the best of the best from Saster speakers. This is where the cloud meets. Remote and hybrid teams aren't the future of work, they're the present. OWL Labs is embracing this revolution and is here to provide remote workers with a virtual seat at the table with the meeting OWL. Their 360-degree smart video conferencing camera can recognize and highlight any speaker at the table using an array of eight microphones. Check it out for yourself at owllabs.com. We're already counting down to Saster Annual 2020. For our loyal podcast listeners, we want to give you $100 off towards your ticket. Just buy your ticket using code FAVE100. Up today, Vista Equity Partners Principal, Renee Yang-Stewart, and Zapproved CEO, Monica Enand. Uh, I'm Renee Stewart, and I'm a partner at Vista, and I co-head the Endeavor Fund. And with me today is Monica Enan, founder and CEO of Zapproved. And we're here to share with you guys some perspectives on the journey uh, that a company goes through from a fundraising standpoint, as well as some of the operational challenges as a company hits product market fit to all the way scaling the business. A little bit about myself, uh, I've been a software investor for pretty much my entire career, um, and I grew up in the heart of Silicon Valley, and so I've seen kind of the ups and downs and ebbs and flows of what this great town has to offer over the last few decades. On Vista, we are the largest, most prolific software, enterprise software investor in the world with over $45 billion of cumulative capital raised. And uh, most people know us for some of our largest deals, like the Marketos and the mind bodies of the world, but we actually invest all the way down to the growth stage. So I co-head Vista's Growth Fund, which is a $500 million fund that partners with founders and CEOs uh, who are running 5 to 20 million ARR businesses, and we provide the capital, the support, the tools, the knowledge to really help them grow to 50 to $100 million in a sustainable and predictable way. So with that, um, I'll let Monica introduce herself and share a little bit about Zapproved. Thank you so much, Renee. I'm so happy to be here. My name is Monica Enan, and I'm the founder and CEO of Zapproved. Zapproved works with corporate legal departments. We help them respond to litigation. Um, in addition to being the CEO and founder of Zapproved, I've I have a few other activities. I, um, I'm really lucky to be part of a high-growth startup uh, on the board of Auth0. It's an identity-as-a-service company, actually in Bellevue. And uh, I serve my local community in Portland, Oregon, by being the chair of the board of the Technology Association of Oregon. So, Monica, you know, you have obviously taken a, a company from figuring out product market fit to, to now a company of scale. Can you walk us through a little bit of the fundraising journey from literally the first dollar that you raised to your most recent round? Yeah, we founded the company in 2008, which many of you who were around then know it was a, it was a pretty difficult time to start a company. In some ways, I think it made us a stronger company, but the fundraising in 2008, 2009 was pretty difficult. So we decided to pick one thing, have it be non-discretionary spend. Um, and litigation is typically a counter-recessionary phenomenon. 
in that recession, it actually did go down, but we decided to, t to be the best at one thing in that litigation space. And we were able to raise angel funds in 2009. We raised a million dollars in, in 2009 and used that to get some early traction with customers, kind of based on the first say 15, 20 customers were able to raise another angel round in 2010. That one was actually, the first angel round was tough, hard. I must have gotten rejected maybe 50 times, 100 times for every one small check that I got. Um, took a long time. Based on the success we had with the early traction, in 2010 raised a million and a half, kind of more of a super angel round got more expertise around the table, was able to get the founder of Battery Ventures, the one of the first initial partners at Sequoia, also uh, Steve Singh, who at the time was the CEO of Concur, great SaaS company. Um, he's the CEO of Docker now, was also one of the sort of super angels, did larger chunks in that second round. And then, frankly, we... Based on that, we started, we hit cash flow break even and we started growing organically and uh, getting great traction with our customers and kind of cruised for a, a while just growing organically. In 2014, based on, you know, we were sitting at a trade show actually in New York that we go to every year and sitting with all of our customers back to back in meetings and realizing that something had changed in the environment. We were serving the legal teams who were Frankly, they're late adopters. They were late to the cloud, late to software as a service, but they were starting to say, hey, we have cloud initiatives and we need to go with the, where the rest of the corporation is. And so based on that, sitting with kind of a couple hundred co corporate customers, really high retention rates, uh, good growth in our revenue, we decided to raise our first institutional round in 2014 and expand our product line. From 2014 to 2017, we actually spent time just getting traction, building out that product line and getting traction on the, on the expanded product line. And then in 2017, actually partnered with Vista Equity Partners based on the success to really kind of say, okay, we've really hit, we have a larger market, we have a larger uh, product offering to give to our customers. Let's scale this thing. These days, there are just a plethora of options, financing options. There's angel, um, seed, there's venture, there's even venture debt, there's growth equity, there's private equity, there's so many options. And you've kind of raised capital from a lot of those different choices. What was that journey like and how did it dif differ from, say, the venture to the, the private equity realm? Yeah, I've been lucky to be part of some great companies that have done, you know, at Auth Zero, we have Bessemer, Trinity, Maritech, Sapphire. Um, I was part of a, a company before it's approved, had Bessemer, Redpoint. So top tier venture capitalists that I've really enjoyed working with and I had great respect for. But when it came to approved, you know, I think it really depends on your business and your aspirations for the business. I started to realize, I think maybe because we started in a recession and every, I mean, look, every founder knows that every first 20 customers are hard fought, hard got lots of blood, sweat and tears to get those 20 customers. But when, as the company grew and so many early customers had taken a risk on us, I kind of decided that I was not interested in a lower probability, higher return. I was interested in high probability of return and high probability of success. I personally am at a stage in my career, you know, where I'm not going to do 10 more startups. And even then, you know, I don't have a portfolio of entities that I'm 
uh, working on. I have just this one and I really needed it to be successful. And that's why uh, working with Vista, working with our other K1, who's our institutional partner, really was a good fit for us because of our market and because of how it grows and because of the probability of success. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that we see and a lot of founders approach me and, and ask, how do I figure out what type of um, investor to take on? Yeah. I think some of that has to do with just your peer size. So usually the rule of thumb, and this is general category, you know, I'm, I'm obviously being uh, generic here, but usually kind of when you get to that first million of ARR, you're, you're just raising angel and seed round. Once you cross that million dollar threshold, that's where, you know, VC is really an option. And then it's when you hit five, I found, I don't know if you saw this to be the case, but when you hit five, that's when your options really open up. Um, you can continue to raise more VC, you can raise growth equity, and then private equity like ourselves um, would, would be interested. And, and when you get to that stage and you're trying to figure out, you know, what, what do I do? What, you know, what are those options should I pursue? I think it really comes down to two big things. Um, the, the first is the fundamental characteristics of your business. So if you are at 5 million of ARR and you are doubling, tripling, quadrupling in growth, I would argue that VC is probably your best path in terms of being able to provide you the capital um, and support that's well aligned with your goals. However, if you're growing respectably, but you're growing less than 100%, you're growing 50, 60, 70%, Chances are growth equity and private equity is probably a better option. A lot of VCs won't even consider a business that's sub 100 million or sorry, sub 100% in growth. I think private equity is, is a better suited fit for that type of growth. Um, the other thing to think about is uh, really your, your risk tolerance profile as well as what your ultimate goals are. So if you want to become the next Facebook, Box, Slack, and, and you have those aspirations and you have a high appetite for risk, then venture is really the best path to support you to, to get to those aspirations. However, if those aren't your aspirations and you just, you've built a great business, you want to build a great sustainable business where you don't want to have to worry about running out of cash. You don't want to worry about, you know, having to fundraise every 12 to 18 months. Then I think it's, you know, good to consider the private equity model because that business model seems to be a better, you know, better suited for the outcomes that you're trying to drive. Would you? Yeah. And I think for me, it was a kind of a soul searching journey um, because there is this allure of the home run and, you know, go big or go home. And I think after a little bit of experience with that and sort of all of the sacrifices that early employees, early customers make, you know, for me, it was I looked at the, the Midas list and you say, OK, when you look at kind of the top venture funds, it's really one or two companies that return the fund. And that's when it was like, okay, if you can be that one or two, that's great. But if you're really focused on absolutely succeeding and sustainable growth at a, you know, at, at a more reasonable pace to ensure absolute success for all those early stakeholders, then, you know, I think the model works really well. Yeah. I think one of the other key differences between venture and private equity is um, the, the stake. So in the venture world, you are giving up 10 to 20% of your stake each time. Um, in the private equity world, you're giving up potentially, you know, 51, 60%, 70%. Now you're getting some liquidity, 
but you are, you know, giving up what is per- sometimes perceived as control. Monica, I know you went through yeah. that journey yeah. and that was not an easy journey for you. How did you ultimately get comfortable with kind of quote unquote giving up control? Well, I think, you know, you probably heard the story many times of when your colleague approached me the first time and I said, there is no way I will do a deal with with Vista. I'm just not going to do that. And I kind of held to that for a little while. And then after getting to know the Vista team, getting to know the model, first of all, like I didn't understand that Vista is the most active. PitchBook says that Vista is the most active software investor. I didn't know 380 transactions and zero losses. And I, I just don't think I understood what the model was. And I had a lot of misconceptions, frankly, about being spreadsheet oriented or thinking that you guys would know how to run my business more better than I would, you know, kind of those things. And so after that journey of kind of learning more about Vista and learning what kind of track record Vista had and realizing, you know, for me personally, I decided, look, I want to be the best software CEO that I can possibly be. And the best run software businesses are in the Vista Equity portfolio. I mean, there's a track record of consistent best-run software businesses. And it's not just working with Vista. I love working with you guys, obviously. But, you know, we also get together as CEOs all across the portfolio just this last weekend, spend some time together as a retreat. And what I learned from that network and the sharing that goes on in that network, I think because of the dynamics of the investor base, it's pretty remarkable. Um, so it took me a while, but I think I realized I'm going to look control is kind of a, a fictional thing in some ways. As, as long as you're doing well, as long as your company's succeeding, you've got control and control on paper is kind of, I don't know. Um, so for me, it was, I want to figure out the best way to make the company as successful as possible and decided that that, that was a really good option. What are, um, what are the, some of the things that you look for in a partner? You know, I kind of talked about my misconceptions about Vista, but I I really wanted somebody who was going to be able to be in the trenches. It's hard business. And I used to think that, oh, that early stage stuff was really hard. And that scaling stuff, I mean, come on, lots of people do it. It's got to be easy. The truth is, it's hard at every stage. It never actually gets easier. And I wish someone would have told me that, although I probably wouldn't have listened. And I think having people that, you know, when you're in early stage, you're kind of a unique Snowflake because you have your own product and you're trying to find product market fit and there's pricing and there's all kinds of competitive landscape dynamics that are unique to you. As you're trying to scale, a lot of the problems that software companies hit are not unique snowflake problems. They're really common. Like as I talked to the other CEOs, even at the Vista retreat this past weekend, we're hitting all the same problems and how what they're trying to solve is the same. So I think I look for a partner with track record and some expertise and some willingness to roll up. If you were wearing sleeves, I know you would roll them up with me. Um, you have on many occasions and kind of be in the trenches and really kind of help me get through. And the transparency and the, you know, I don't even think our, our board meetings don't feel like board meetings to me at all. They actually feel like working sessions, mm-hmm. like where we actually just come in with the hardest issues and everybody sits around the table and kind of throws out, you know, and we kind of beat each other up and best idea wins, and everybody's bringing their their different experiences. That's what I love about the partnership. When you were raising, um, say, your first institutional capital, what what kind of metrics and, and what characteristics did you feel like investors yeah. dug into? It was kind of a funny experience because in 2008, 
based on like trying to raise angel capital and it being so difficult and thinking, gosh, no one will ever really invest. I kind of had this mindset. And then fast forward five years and we've got hundreds of logos that, you know, the logos are some of the biggest companies in the world. We've got, you know, legal, like I said, they're, they're uh, late adopters, not quick technology changers. Um, so we actually have a really low churn rate. We have a high retention rate and then growing pretty significantly and, and a bigger opportunity with a, with a segment of the business that hadn't been disrupt, segment of the corporation that really hadn't gone through the same disruption that others had. I felt like the bell of the ball when I went out for institutional funding. I was like, God, I'm like the prettiest girl here. Uh, everybody <laughs> wants to, you know, and it, it was really, uh, you know, what I realized was, why was that? Like, it was all about kind of art. For us, it was all about churn. Uh, we have a really low churn. And then we have negative, you know, revenue churn, net net churn, net negative revenue churn. So we're able to grow our customers in the revenue side more than we lose them. So that, I think, really changed the, the dynamics of the conversations that I was able to have with institutional. I know um, when you when you guys are looking at companies, what are, are those? The, what are the main kind of think characteristics of that you're looking for? Yeah, I, because we are fundamentally a private equity business, we don't have the luxury of relying on that one or two uh, successful investment that returns multiples of the fund. Instead, every one of our investments needs to be successful. I mean, we bat a thousand. And if we want to keep batting a thousand, that means we have to inherently invest in highly predictable businesses. And so for us, what highly predictable means is, I'd say, some quantitative things. It's recurring revenue. And for us, best in class of recurring revenue is greater than 90%. And you guys were north of that. The, the second metric that I focus on is churn. So mm -hmm. it's really gross retention rates. And I consider best-in-class enterprise SaaS gross retention rates to be greater than 95%. You guys were greater than 95%. And then the last metric really is around unit economics. I know a lot of people out there uh, look at LTV-CAC ratios. That is an industry standard, great metric to look at. I think it's easy to... Um, play funny math sometimes with some of those numbers. And, and so I like to keep it simple. I focus on gross margins. Industry standard and, and best-in-class um, gross margins are over 80% fully loaded. And, and when you have greater than 80% gross margins, it really allows you to, to um, create operating leverage as you scale larger and larger. And you guys were close to 90% uh, gross margin. So those are kind of the three quantitative metrics that I focus on qualitatively, there's kind of two core ones. The first is, is really product superiority. At this stage, you know, you guys are disruptors. You're not the incumbents. And the only way you can disrupt or create a new category is to have product superiority. And then the second just comes down to team and, and the leader. Ultimately, we, we like to partner and work with CEOs who are intellectually curious and who uh, are life learners. So they kind of check their ego at the door and they're here to learn and grow alongside us. Uh, and then the other piece is really uh, people who can lead through change. As a growth business, you are going to go through so much change, good change, bad change, all of that change. And it's going to be very difficult to scale if you can't kind of lead a team and lead your entire company through the ups and downs of change. And, you know, I think there is a, a kind of a misconception. 
you actually work with quite a few founders, don't mm -hmm. you? I, I know that many people ask me when we did the Vista transaction, I got asked all the time, like, are you, you're not still with the business, are you? You're not still operational. And I was like, heck yeah. Like, this journey is just beginning. What are you talking about? This is kind of the best is yet to come for the approved. I want to be on this journey as long as I can and as long as I'm serving the company. Is that what you find in most of your companies? Yeah, I, I would say we're here to back founders. We want to back passionate founders and we want to provide them the support system, the tools. You know, a lot of the founders we're working with are first time CEOs. Yeah. And, um, for first time CEOs, this is the first time they've been in that journey. And so I, my advice for first time CEOs is really take advantage of your network. Don't be afraid to ask lots of questions. Ask your peers, uh, find advisors, and and then ultimately, you know, find a partner, whether that's a VC partner, growth equity partner, or a private equity partner that can really support you in that growth. What did the meeting rooms of big brands like SoulCycle and Lola.com have in common? A wise bird told us that it's the meeting owl. A smart 360-degree video conferencing camera, which gives remote workers an immersive experience during virtual meetings. Join OWL Labs in bringing teams together for better work at owllabs.com.